Welcome to Cinema of Meaning, the podcast that seeks to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer. My name is Tom, you may know me as the creator of Like Stories of Old, and I'm joined by fellow video essayist Thomas Flight to talk about Zach Gregor's Barbarian. Thomas, Barbarian, it's a new release, kind of a low-budget horror movie that's been getting a lot of buzz, and uh, yeah, well, what were your first impressions on it? Why do you think it's interesting to cover this one? This was a, f- a fun horror movie. I feel like you can almost count on, at this point, every year there's like one of these low-budget entries, debuts into horror. It's an interesting genre in that respect mm-hmm. where because it has genre pull, like there's people who will just go see a horror movie because it's a horror movie. That's a dynamic that doesn't exist for a lot of other genres. And so it's a really great mm-hmm. space for somebody to kind of come out of the gate with without a bunch of huge name talent. There, There's some in this, but you can have relatively unknown directors or actors and a relatively low budget mm-hmm. story and still have a movie get a lot of gain a lot of traction in the box office or have a lot of people talking about it. So it's fun to kind of see that happen roughly every year. And I feel like Barbarian kind of kind of mm-hmm. is holding that that mantle this year. I went into this knowing absolutely nothing about it. I didn't even watch a trailer. I all I knew mm-hmm. was the poster. And that was really fun. It it has some twists and some turns that that I didn't expect. And so it was cool to see that un, unfold. And the other interesting thing about horror right now is it is one of the spaces where social commentary is really alive and thriving. I think a lot of a lot of horror is playing in that space. I think especially since uh, Get Out. Yes. Yeah. This is definitely doing that. What intrigued you about barbarian yeah i kind of didn't go in as blind as you did i tried to because i saw i saw barbarian caught my attention because i saw everyone on twitter saying just go see barbarian don't watch the trailer don't read anything about it just go see it blind and you'll be amazed or entertained or whatever and so i tried to do that but then a couple of days later on youtube there was a trailer for uh, that just said the new justin long movie oh yes yeah so i ignorantly clicked on that and that turned out to be the movie barbarian and so i i stopped it halfway through because i was like oh shit I don't (laughs) (laughs) if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the movie yet probably should stop right here because we're yeah jump straight into spoiler territory and i kind of already spoiled something because the whole appearance of justin long is in itself a it's not exactly a spoiler, but it is. It does come as a twist in the movie. Right. I yeah. was watching the movie, and then it it started with uh, two different actors. Just it started out with Tess, who goes to this Airbnb in some shady neighborhood, and it turns out there's already a tenant in it who they got like a double booking or something, and that's you know the whole there's like a half an hour or something that plays out with the, the tension between them, and it's only then I don't even remember at which point in the movie it was like maybe 30, 40 minutes in. That it suddenly has this abrupt cut to uh, Justin Long's character, who is only then introduced. So yeah. I was kind of waiting for that to happen because I know he was going to show up at some point, but I didn't know how or when. But yeah, I can imagine it's fun if you really don't know anything, and then there's this this sudden twist that basically comes out of the blue. I I had exactly that experience, and it was pretty fun. I had even seen mm-hmm. the thumbnails for that trailer, the trailer Justin Long's new movie or whatever but I didn't click on them. And so when mm-hmm. that cut came, I recognized the shot of him in the car, the like thumbnails of that. And I was like, oh, that must have been what 
that trailer <laughs> this must be what that trailer was for but yeah this movie went in a completely different direction from what i was expecting going in completely mm -hmm. blind because the setup at the beginning feels like it's going to be something else there's this whole character played by bill skarsgård yeah and you kind of think that he's maybe going to be the bad guy for a little while so it plays with your expectations there there's a little mm -hmm. almost like a little horror short film that kind of sets the stage and then the real story kind mm -hmm. of kicks in and we get to watch that play out so yeah i found that to be really fun i love a movie that plays with the audience like that in in a way that is mm -hmm. when that cut to black happened and it changed over and justin long's character showed up i got very excited because <laughs> suddenly i was like oh okay here's a movie that's that is gonna is trying to be something mm -hmm. more than what I initially had uh, anticipated. Yeah. Which the not that the opening is boring. I I would also I would also totally watch a movie that's just about two people who randomly end up staying in an Airbnb together in a creepy neighborhood. Yeah, and like watch watching that go sideways is like an interesting mm -hmm. horror premise in and of itself. Or not even. Right, or even not watch it, just like have it be weird and awkward for like yeah. days. I think in some way the more fascinating aspect of that whole section was that neither of those characters were malicious as far as yes. we get to know. Yeah. But it's more so about kind of the uh, cultural preconceptions and maybe also sort of the gender dynamics that come into play there that create certain, yeah. that create a tension that might not even be there literally. Yeah. But it's, it's one of those scenes also or sequences where you, the vibe you're getting from it depends so much on knowing what genre movie you're watching because yes. it could have well been the, it sort of meet cute in a romantic love story <laughs> right, right. kind of goes into that direction a little bit but then you're reminded oh yeah there's this is not love actually or whatever this yeah. is it's a horror movie there's you know stuff in the basement maybe a ghost or something and something has to go wrong yeah it's such a it's such a great kind of sequence too in terms of the movie as a whole, and I'm sure we'll get into some of this stuff, is dealing with like gender roles, and that's kind of well, we'll get we'll get into that. But that's that's a mm. part of the conversation as a whole that this movie is having. The opening mm. is playing with a really playing with part of that in a really fun way, in that you can kind of like watching that, you can kind of have sympathy for both of the characters. Like you kind of because it's a horror film, you have a little bit of there's a little bit of thought in the back of your mind of like oh Keith might be this bad guy or creepy or or weird mm -hmm. you even like I even had this tiny suspicion I was like maybe the twist here is that like she's gonna do something you know who knows what, what you never oh, know what yeah. might happen but it seems like it's setting it more up that like Keith might be but at, either way within that you have this scenario that plays out I don't know if I want to use the word realistically but like not in a completely absurd way where you totally understand where Tess is coming from and you're like, you know, she should be skeptical and wary of this guy and it is dangerous to just stay in an Airbnb with somebody you don't know. But then also from Keith's perspective, like I can totally put myself in his shoes and be like, you want to be nice and make yourself not <laughs> creepy and try to be hospitable yeah, yeah. and like do the right thing and like not just put this person out on the street or whatever but then almost everything that you could do to make yourself seem not predatory just 
<laughs> almost makes it worse. Yeah, especially if you're not the most socially yes smooth <laughs> guy. Like that's 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 an added layer that seems to go on top of this. And in the movie where he's clearly trying to convey something, but he's also clearly not a hundred percent capable of. He he himself doesn't know how to go about it, or you kind yeah. of fumbles around a little bit and messes up messes things up and yeah it's it doesn't go smoothly and yeah i agree that's for me that was kind of relatable in like for me that's the interesting part because it it does set up uh keith as the i didn't necessarily think the movie was trying to convince us that keith was bad but more so that it was trying to help us or to let us understand why from that's her perspective she would perceive him as a threat and she would be wary of him kind of explain why women in general would be wary of such situations which even keith tries to acknowledge as much as possible even though he kind of goes about it awkwardly yeah (laughs) if i imagine myself in that situation like as a man i would like identify with the keith character like what would i do like and especially he was from the city he was kind of it turns out he was sort of scouting out these uh, peripheral locations for some kind of art project, if I remember correctly, or yeah. music project. So he probably knew like it was a bad idea to send her out into that neighborhood. Like so, he did have that extra incentive to keep her to stay or to to get her to stay without him, like without him seeming like a murderer or something. Right. Right. So yeah, how do you, as a man, like how do you go about this? Because you're Fortunately, I haven't had like real situations like that, but I can imagine like you can you can sometimes sense when someone else is not comfortable in your presence for whatever reason. And so as someone who does want people to be comfortable in their presence, you you want to try and do something to alleviate the tension somehow. And I like that he's kind of he seems to point out or as I said, like he acknowledges her reasons for being wary of him. And so he tries to accommodate uh, to that by you know that's the thing where he gives her a cup of tea at first but then he realizes oh i she didn't see me right make the tea he you know i could have put anything in there like i'm not an evil guy but i could have done that if i were <laughs> right that's yeah, the, yeah. So it, it's weird how you then have to adopt sort of the, the mindset of a <laughs> right. more evilish guy or no only to kind of disprove yourself <laughs> yeah it's almost kind of like endearing how he sits waiting with the wine and he's like I was waiting for you to open it so you can see that I that, that it's safe and that I opened it in front of you and it's all good. And, and maybe, I don't know what his, his idea was with the wine, maybe just to help her relax or set some kind of mood that was more calm, I guess, or yeah. relaxed or whatever. There's a little bit of ambiguity there that never gets resolved where, like, I think the movie in kind of, leaving an open question as to whether or not he actually is threatening is kind of playing with this mm-hmm. idea of you know maybe he is interested in her or is trying to maybe he wants to sleep with her or something like there's that moment after they put the the duvet on the bed where he like kind of pauses and like doesn't quite leave the room and it's like is he hoping for something or is he just awkward and we mm-hmm. never really find you know we that ambiguity is just kind of left yeah left open that is what her character is experiencing is like this mm. tension between you know is he just an awkward weird guy or you know or is does he have some kind of ulterior motives even if he's not like a creepy you know mm-hmm. even he, if he's not laying in wait or something to assault her and trying to trap her 
uh, you know, there mm. may be some other level of ulterior motive here where he's hoping something might happen or something like that. Yeah. Because at that point, they did spend like some time together. They, yeah. You know, there's that, there's that little scene where they're kind of laughing with each other. They, right. It feels like they're like lowering their guards, both of them, and just kind of connect with each other, which, you know, in that moment, it that's where it kind of could have led to this more romantic story that in hindsight would have been this funny meet cute between right what is now a couple or something and yeah yeah <laughs> i do like that kind of the tipping point the thing that gets her to start trusting him a little bit is mm-hmm. when he's mentions that he's seen this obscure documentary that she's that was made by this oh, director yeah. that she's in town to that she's in town to interview with Because that is totally Mm -hmm. something, maybe not if I was exactly in her position, but if I was in a situation where I was trying to assess if I trusted somebody and I threw out like some kind of random obscure, like, oh, Mm -hmm. the person's like, oh, I've seen camera person by, you know, um, (laughs) what's her name? Kristen, I forget her last name. But if somebody was like, oh, yeah, I would suddenly like trust level would just go way up, (laughs) (laughs) which is completely irrational, but... (laughs) It would it would convince mm. me somehow. I think that for me that was also clearly like a turning point because I think it's also where he showed some kind of inner depth maybe that or he had shown like if there's a piece of media that you really love or, yeah. or not even a piece of media but just some obscure thing that for you is something that's reassuring or comforting and then some other guy is like, oh yeah, I've seen that too. I admire that too, or I appreciate that too. Then you know, I it makes sense for that to be like a to to form a bridge between two yeah, people. Yeah. And that was also the point where I was actually hoping that Keith would actually be a good guy, and I would actually have been disappointed if he wasn't, because that's if if that if there would have been a twist where he ended up like clearly evil or malicious, that at that point it would have felt like more of a rock pool instead of like a genuine yeah. twist. I get that there's situations where guys throw up red flags and, you know, that I think that's the kind of the basic idea for this movie started with a woman going into this situation where she stays despite seeing all these red flags, but, but, but I feel like the movie does such an effective job at having the guy in the situation sort of dismantle them that it would have felt disingenuous if he turned out to be evil anyways. Right, right. But I don't know, maybe that's the experience that women have that despite the red flags being down, you know... It could still end up being bad, turning ugly, in yeah. which case I wouldn't know what to do anymore <laughs> right, right. as a man who would find himself in Keith's situation with him still being like the good guy who's genuinely trying to make someone comfortable in their presence. But yeah. yeah. One more cinema of meaning. Well, Tom and I record an entire bonus episode every month. And the best way to get those bonus episodes is on Nebula. And you can sign up for Nebula right now with the link down in our description. Nebula is an online streaming service created by creators like Tom and I, where we can publish our work early and without any ads. You can see our normal YouTube work there and listen to our podcast on Nebula early and without any ads. But you also get access to a monthly bonus episode when you listen on Nebula. In our bonus episodes, we've talked about movies like 2001 A Space Odyssey, Drive, Alien Covenant, and a bunch of others. So check out those episodes now by listening on Nebula. The best way you can get access to Nebula right now is through the Curiosity Stream bundle. Curiosity Stream is a streaming service dedicated to bringing you wonderful documentaries. And when you sign up for Curiosity Stream using our code, you'll also get access to Nebula. The entire bundle for the two streaming services is available for less than $15 for the entire first year. 
You can sign up for that bundle right now at curiositystream.com slash cinema of meaning or click the link in the description below. So Keith doesn't end up being the bad guy. This is all mm -hmm. kind of a setup for the discovery of the basement, the basement and something <laughs> else is going on. What is going on there? What is going on there? This whole sequence, I love, I really liked the kind of revelation of the way it was revealed, I think is, and hmm. this whole process is genuinely like creepy and kind of spooky. And it's funny too, just to play on this whole kind of meme commentary about Airbnbs too. I don't know how many Airbnbs you stayed in and maybe Airbnbs in Europe are different from American ones, but not that many with the uh, secret scary basements. <laughs> not that many. I've never stayed in one with a secret scary basement, but I've definitely <laughs> stayed in ones where <laughs> it felt like you might find one. I stayed in an Airbnb <laughs> once in Florida where there was a tree that when we got there, there was a tree that had fallen and like just mm. barely missed the house. Mm -hmm. Like and it was still there while we were staying there. And then there was like also an, an animal crawling around in like an air duct or something. Uh, that's Florida for you. But mm -hmm. I've stayed places where <laughs> it feels like it feels like, yeah, there could be some kind of creepy yeah. passage in the basement. I've also literally yeah. had not the experience of being double booked with somebody, but I've literally had that experience mm. of standing in the rain trying to get a key. Oh, yeah. And trying to contact the people and nobody's like nobody's answering like i have no way of contacting them i can't the code mm -hmm. isn't working for the box and it's raining on me so i guess moral yeah. of the story is use uh, go to <laughs> stay in a hotel instead of an airbnb or something yeah or an airbnb that's just as it was intended in someone's home or yes, at least yeah, yeah. someone nearby yeah the one weird situation i had with an airbnb was when uh, i went to france to like the alps and we rented this cabin in the woods with, with like no electricity no running water really secluded and it had like this outhouse toilet in the in the woods which was actually quite nice very relaxing to just do your business while having the door kind of open staring into the woods <laughs> but then like after we were there for like a couple of hours and we were sitting outside and then someone like walked across the property and went to use the outhouse Oh, wow. And so <laughs> and we didn't know, but apparently there was another like smaller barn or something a little bit down the road, which also had to use, which was of the same owner, but both parties had to use the same little outhouse. Oh, yeah. So that was kind of a weird experience to have, like every now and then there would be someone walking across our property to, to use the bathroom. <laughs> to go use the out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would be, uh, especially if you didn't know about yeah. that ahead of time, that would be startling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And yet you probably, you probably did it. You stayed, you didn't, uh, you didn't run for the hills. Oh, yeah. uh, well, that's, the, no. that's the other thing you already mentioned the dynamic of like people in the horror movies, not knowing, or you mentioned the dynamic of like the whole thing is different because we, the audience know it's a horror movie, but I often mm -hmm. think about that too, where, you know, it's kind of a trope. Other people have said it a bunch of times, but if the characters don't know they're in a horror movie would behave very differently mm -hmm. if they knew they were like like we do yeah if they knew they were in a horror movie the minute yeah. the minute the door swings open or something you would just leave but mm -hmm. instead there's a there's a little moment like that in barbarian where she first discovers the basement and she stares at it for a bit and she's like nope nope yeah <laughs> but yeah I, I think that that's one of the things that i feel is 
uh, that that horror movies are needlessly criticized for 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 you know when the audience doesn't understand that the characters in the actual movie don't know that they're in a horror movie and therefore behave differently than we would yeah as we are watching it as a horror movie so uh, yeah there's a lot of things that would seem perfectly fine or ordinary when you take out the context of this is a horror movie so yeah. but yeah I don't think that really I I didn't really have an issue with that in this movie where characters were behaving particularly unrealistically even considering the this was a horror movie or if you consider like how they would have acted if it wasn't yeah, but, yeah. I think this one does a pretty good job too of engaging with that that dynamic like there there's a lot of times where you might as a viewer be like well call the police but they mm-hmm you know, kind of illustrate how the police aren't being helpful in this situation or whatever. It kind of manages to skirt around a lot of those moments where you would be like, yeah, yeah, I definitely would not do that. That was kind of an issue for me, though, where they what happens like when characters do realize, oh, something is off, I have to take action. But then the writers kind of have to box them in, make sure they can just, yeah, they have to box them in, which in this case was for me the most severe with the cops who yeah. arrived and then were completely dismissive of her plight, basically. Which I feel like I can imagine that happening to some extent in some circumstances. But here it felt like, I don't know, I didn't buy it that the cops at least didn't hear her out or took her with them or, you know, did something at all to yeah. comfort them. But I don't know, might be America's police. Well, that's that's <laughs> what I was going to say. I've had I've had mixed experiences. Uh, I've never, you know, been in the situation where I'm like, there's someone trapped in a house uh, and the uh-huh. police are ignoring me. But I've had instances of police being very helpful. And I've also had instances where, like, I'm literally stuck on the side of the road in a car, broken down with no phone. And they're kind of, like, begrudgingly, like, helping instead of, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. So to me, it was like, it's not like there's no way the police would help with this, but it didn't it didn't feel like yeah. completely out of the realm of possibility that you would have these people who are just like, I don't have time to deal with this. Yeah. They also showed that the cops had a second call coming in of an active shooting or something. Yeah. So there was something more pressing going on, which yeah. kind of makes it okay uh, or a little bit better, I guess. But even then, they could have sent someone else or... yeah. You know, it, it would seem strange to me to just leave a situation like that yeah. and let it play out uh, without, you know, checking up on it in some other way or sending in some other unit or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is strange That's that the police should hopefully be uh, helping out <laughs> with stuff like that. But yeah, it's uh, it's not com- it's not yeah. completely outside of the realm of possibility in my imagination mm-hmm. or in my experience. But yeah. nonetheless, it's a necessary perhaps necessary uh, plot device in this scenario just to deal with the fact that mm-hmm. you you need the people to stay at the house and for the police not to come in guns blazing and just fix the situation. Yeah. So somehow we have to get around that. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that if the police had come in and it would have turned into uh, like a scene from Malignant or uh, what's the other one, The Invisible Man or something, I think it was, where it just turns into this brawl between the monster and, you know, a bunch of right, cops. Yeah. Would have made it too much more of an action movie, which would also have undermined the whole atmosphere of it, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this probably was the, the lesser of two evils. But going back to the to where we left off, we were, uh, we just discovered the basement. That's where she, Tess has the argument with Keith about what's going on. Keith wants to go down there and see for himself. 
which leads to him getting into trouble as far as Tess can tell so she ends up going in there anyways she discovers the second secret basement behind the initial secret basement yes um, and that's where she, she there's a long stairway that goes down she finds Keith and he's assaulted by this creature which was scary looking I guess yes. I feel they revealed just a little bit too much right in that initial opening but um, anyways that's not too big of a deal and yeah. then we cut to the uh, Justin Long storyline. Yeah. Which I thought was very, I wouldn't say original because the first thing I thought of was Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, which also has a similar twist right up, right around that point yeah. in the movie. Although I think that the difference being that in Psycho, the, the first part of the movie is really its own contained story with the character in that story being, you know, spoiler alert for a 40, 50 year old <laughs> movie, but she, <laughs> she gets killed off and... Whereas in this movie, uh, Tess comes back later. Yeah. Keith does end up dying, though. You're not sure at that stage if if she's lived or not. You definitely know mm -hmm. that Keith has been offed. But, uh, yeah, especially because in Justin Long's story, it's implied that it's been a few weeks since the yeah. last, last tenants in his... It turns out it's his property, and so it's been a few weeks. So that kind of makes the likelihood of her being alive down there at that point in the movie, kind of slim. But, yeah. Um, yeah, but she, she ends up being alive, but that's jumping ahead a bit too right. far. So yeah, we have Justin Long's story. He is this writer or filmmaker or something. I, I forget what exactly his... Yeah, I think he's a writer, maybe a director. I don't know. He has a pilot that is supposed to be yeah. picked up by a network or something. But he has mm -hmm. incoming allegations of sexual assault that yeah. are being dropped in his lap by his lawyers and producers or whatever mm -hmm. kind of as we as we meet up with him in the car mm -hmm. i do want to say here as a side note that I, th I think it's also very interesting casting where where you have keith's character uh bill skarsgård who's probably most famous at this point for playing uh the clown in it so he's kind of more associated yeah. with creepy characters whereas justin long is more of the harmless underdog guy in like romantic comedies and stuff, whereas he turns out to be the kind of the, the truly bad guy, I right. guess. Yeah. Although at first you're not sure, like he's he's presented with the allegations, but he says, you know, he's falsely accused. I don't think they leave that too ambiguous for too long. The point at which I'm like, oh yeah, this guy, this guy did something. They kind of, they kind of tip the hand towards the truth at a certain point. But when his own mother is kind of like, like, hey, oh, don't talk like that like he <laughs> and i'm like oh <laughs> more likely than not uh he, yeah he's in the wrong here uh <laughs> i do not trust his story at all <laughs> yeah so he's the allegations lead to him being fired from the show basically uh leading to money troubles which because of which he has to sell one of his properties which ends up being the little house that we just uh, had the whole yep. first part of the movie in. And so he goes there. He also discovers the basement. I'm, I'm kind of blanking on what else happens in that storyline exactly. It's not as long as the first section, I think. No, we yeah. go step by step getting him to the property. He shows mm -hmm. up at the property and nobody stayed in it since. And th so the cleaning people haven't come and all of Keith and Tess's stuff mm -hmm. are is still there. The the door to the basement is still open and he's kind of like, what is going on? And trying to figure out, 
you know, what's happened oh, there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was going to say one thing I really liked in that sequence is how you have such a stark contrast between Tess and Keith approaching the basement, like with they're clearly like fearful and wary, whereas AJ, Justin Long's character, he's immediately sees like opportunity, like <laughs> yes, extra yeah. floor space that's going <laughs> right. to up the value of the property. And so that, that you can see there there's an almost, I wouldn't say it's necessarily predatory, but it is that kind of that kind of underlying assumption or attitude that someone goes into a place and he sees like, what, what can this mean for me? Like, how can I profit from this? How can I exploit yeah. this? And that's kind of his whole vibe with regards to the, the sexual allegations or just yeah. basically the sexual assault, which he later sort of confesses, pretty much confesses he did. Like he said, he did have intercourse with this woman, but he had to kind of move her into it or, you yeah. know, kind of push her into it or she wasn't into it at first but then she gave in according to him but you know that it, it's telling enough that that wasn't a great situation and that he yeah. was definitely in the wrong there and should not have done what he did he also like call calls her drunk later like apologizing hmm. so there's there's obviously he has feelings of guilt or feels like he did something mm -hmm. wrong because that yeah. that scene specifically feels less like, oh, he's just trying to manipulate the situation in order to, like, it, it, it feels like he, I don't know if he's feeling some kind of remorse, but he, he had, he's drunk and out of, out of it. And yeah, anyway, I, I think the movie yeah. is at least trying to communicate to us clearly that he was in, he was in the wrong and that it, it was a legitimate yeah. accusation. There's actually, uh, with regards to his character, there was a a podcast recently by I think it's John Berthold's podcast, the the actor, and he did an episode with Shia LaBeouf, who's also been going through the ringer of dealing with being a sexual assaulter. I'm not sure if that's the best way to say it, but he's he has also been accused of allegations which he has admitted to, and he's now uh, on the podcast. He kind of talks about you know he's not seeking for redemption, but he is trying to like learn from it or, or whatever. But the the thing that he explains there is that every time he, he's he's had multiple scandals or controversies throughout his career, and he explained how every time like the the first thing he would do is not like feel genuine empathy or sympathy for the kind of hurt that he caused or you know the people that he hurt but uh the thing he would ask himself is okay where's the wiggle room yeah, like, yeah. how do i how do i how do i get out of this like do i you know he, he explains that you know when something happened there was always a a phone call from brad pitt or like some other movie he could jump onto or there was always a way out and that's the first thing he would always go to like mentally like when yeah. something came up like okay how do i wiggle myself out of this and i feel like that's kind of reflected in aj's character too here where he is confronted with a situation that could hurt him even though if it's something that he himself caused by hurting others and so his first instinct is okay now what do i do like where's my where's my wiggle room how do i get out of this what can be how can i manipulate this into a into such an outcome that i still come out on top yeah anything except for taking actual responsibility for exactly yeah your own actions is is the vibe mm -hmm. yeah that that to me that's really the vibe i increasingly got from that character yeah. you know he he's kind of sympathetic at first but then you once you start to see like the actual red flags then it increasingly becomes like this more sinister character which i guess is also nicely reflected by the house where you have you know the house on the surface looks fine but then there's right you know the, the, the secret dark basement that goes deeper and deeper and 
where all the like the evil stuff is hidden which is sort of like what you see with this character like nice on the surface but the further you go like into the basement the the, the uglier the it gets. uglier yeah the worse it gets yeah. <laughs> yeah it was a nice it's a nice i think it, it reminded me of parasite in some ways and using the like basement and the tunnels and stuff oh, hidden yeah. underneath and people living down there both with these ridiculously long staircases that yes, go down that go way down but instead of applying it to like capitalism it's it's like you know mm. sexist misogyny you know patriarchy the those kinds of mm. things so yeah imagery good imagery of house nice looking house on the surface underneath all kinds of mm-hmm. all, all kinds of hidden dark secrets. The scene where he starts, where he's like measuring. You, you talked about how he is, mm-hmm. is trying to. He sees the basement. And he's like, "Oh, more square footage." It's funny, <laughs> but then when he discovers the stair passage, and he continues measuring down the staircase <laughs> and like dead through the tunnel and all that, is where mm-hmm. the movie really for me like tipped in from like darkly comedic horror movie you know horror film that's darkly comedic at times into just like absurdity like Mm -hmm. comedic absurdity and i found that to be really fun as well too where as sort of the intensity and the ridiculousness of this situation ramped up the movie started kind of to take itself less seriously uh which Mm. i which i thought was a good move uh as well where especially considering the next reveal of the actual monster yes, character yeah. that's that's hidden down there because that's when we get the second cut cutaway when uh, aj is he's doing the thing with the tape measure and then the monster finds him uh he runs away falls into this hole is locked in there and then he sees the other um the other character uh, tess who's been down there for a few weeks yeah I like that both of those moments, the the first cutaway and the second one, they kind of happen on these high intensity moments. And then you have this cut into kind of just something uh, innocent. Like we go from the monster reveal to AJ just driving around happily in his car. Right. And then from, again, the second reveal that Tess is alive and being trapped in a hole in the pit with the monster. We go to this 80s scenario where... We see the house in its full glory, or better yet, the whole neighborhood in its full glory. And we see this old man, I guess, who's buying, who goes out to buy baby supplies and other stuff. And like a videotape that's playing in the in the basement somewhere of this mother breastfeeding a, a baby. And then you kind of get this story that he is the one who's been praying. He's praying on other women and... Uh, it's it's suggested that he's the one who's been taking women down there into his basement because you yeah. have all the videotapes there with all the the or that's revealed later, right? Where you have all the tapes with uh, the different names on it. Yes. So yeah, we have that whole sequence of him kind of being portrayed as this predator who's apparently been doing this for a long time, and then it's uh, the suggestion there is that the monster, the because it's a female monster, is the sort of offspring of whatever happened down there and that i think if i remember correctly is when we got back to the pit with tess and aj who are then connecting with each other and trying to she kind of brings him up to speed like yeah oh she she would the monster wants to be i think on the in the credits she's just described as the mother because that's what she wants to be she basically wants to be this mother figure and if you it's only if you struggle or be a naughty boy or something that she right, right. turns violent and 
kills people, but otherwise she's been keeping Tess alive and you just have to kind of play along with it. And so, yeah, from there, I think I've only seen it once, so I'm, I'm kind of foggy on all the details, but... So, yeah, we end up back in the pit with Tess and Justin, AJ, AJ and uh, and Tess has obviously been <laughs> broken <laughs> to the point where she's just, like, <laughs> able to play along with this this little yeah. game she's playing role playing as a baby in order to stay alive drinking milk out who knows what out of this nasty bottle uh and aj is like no i'm not gonna have any of this <laughs> uh and struggles a little bit and gets taken away by the mother and tess kind of sees her opportunity to get away when the the, hmm. the gate to the pit is left open yeah, yeah. so she makes it back up to the surface, I think that's the moment where she br- busts out of the window, right? Uh, yeah. And she can... She, at that point, she has the opportunity to just split and be done with it. Yeah. But that's when I think she she seeks out the cops or at least someone with a cell phone. Right. Uh, because she does want... She does have the instinct to go back and save AJ. You know, she doesn't know yeah. who he is, that he's a terrible person or whatever. Right. She's kind of more a... Someone who ends, ends up being more nurturing or more a generally kinder person who wants to do stuff for others and help them. But yeah, yeah the, the cops show up. We've talked about it. They leave her alone or they kind of leave her to fend for herself. So she goes back in on her own, if I remember correctly. She also. This is also when she talks to uh, the guy who lives in the neighborhood, Andre, I think his name is. He helps her out of the house. Uh, and is like, oh, you got to get yeah. out of here. The neighborhood isn't safe. Kind of tell, gives mm-hmm. her some other information before she goes to the police. And she's afraid to go back into the house. At first, she's afraid to go back into the house to get her keys. Her car keys are in there because it's kind of revealed that the mother monster has access to the house. She's up in the basement. She's mm-hmm. up in the house itself. And so she's worried about just even getting back in there. But yeah, then... After after the police kind of abandon her, it's getting dark. She's she's there. She has to go back into the house to get her keys, even to leave in her car. If I'm remembering everything correctly, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it was something like that. So, yeah. So she decides she decides to go back in. Also, at some point, I forget the timeline of everything, but at some point, AJ kind of breaks away. Oh, that's when Andre is the one who kind of suggests he tells Tess that the mother isn't even the worst thing that's down there. That's when we start to think like, mm. oh, this Frank character or whatever his name was that we saw in the yeah. flashback to the 80s, maybe he's still down there or something else is still down there. And meanwhile, meanwhile, AJ is, gets a chance to break free when... I guess as the mother is chasing Tess and he ends up finding um, Frank yeah. down in, in a, yet another secret room in this mm-hmm. network of underground tunnels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's when we get the whole reveal that uh, Frank had all these videotapes. I think AJ watches one and he kind of, or not at first, he, he thinks Frank is a, another prisoner yes. who's just been kept down there by the mother figure. And then he tries to rescue him by he promises him like oh the cops are going to be here uh, any minute now you know it's going to be fine you're going to get out of here but then he watches the videotape or one of the videotapes and 
that's when he realizes that actually it's Frank who's kind of the the extreme version that of himself in some way yeah, like yeah. he's they kind of there's a connection there obviously between him being a, a sexual predator sort of and the other guy clearly being this serial killer um slash overall evil person and yeah um I think that's also why Frankie ends up grabbing a gun and killing himself. Not so much, I think, because he has regret or once feels some kind of remorse, but more so because AJ promised him, like, there's going to be cops down here right. any second now, uh, which to him only means like, oh, shit, I'm going to face consequences for all this, which to some extent foreshadows what's going to happen at the end, where AJ finds himself similarly cornered, where instead of facing consequences, they... They they both look for the easy way out or the but that's jumping ahead a little bit maybe because um I think from there it he AJ finds him finds his way out together with Tess right or they end up they both end up on the street where they meet with the the, the character you just mentioned that lives there Andre, yeah. yeah they go to what is apparently this safe place which turns out not to be a safe place um, Andre gets killed and they flee up this water tower I think it was yeah and there. The mother's coming up and then AJ sees, um, he's like, oh shit, there's no way out. Uh, what do I do? Where he's again, again, that's the kind of the moment where he goes looking for that wiggle room. Like, how do I turn this situation around to myself? Um, even though he just prior to that, he gave this whole speech about causing hurt. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what he said, but he, he seemed to have some uh, remorse or something. But Yeah, he seems to be like confronting the what he's done to some extent, at least internally, perhaps because he came face to face with sort of the Frank side of things. He's confronting that mm -hmm. a little bit when they're when they're down there. He's like, I got I've done horrible things. Yeah, I, I forget also the way they escape is that um, AJ grabs the gun and then he accidentally shoots Tess as she's oh, yeah, 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 yeah. coming down to save him, which right. is this really unfortunate moment. Yes. That's that's the that's the missing piece there is he's yeah. he's talking about, oh, I've done this horrible thing, which Tess thinks he means accidentally shooting her, but kind of the subtext mm -hmm. there is he's talking about no yeah. like this sexual assault in his past. And you know, he's like, I need to make this right or figure out. But then that's pretty quickly undercut when he's put back in a situation mm -hmm. where he, in his mind it's either Tess or him and he is very willing to sacrifice Tess for for himself. I have the full quote here it says so he he says this is my fault and which on the surface refers to or seems to refer to him accidentally shooting Tess and she being wounded at that point. Uh Andre says it uh, it don't matter whose fault it is and AJ says uh it does I hurt somebody that matters. I don't know if I'm a bad person, but I might be. I might be a bad person, or maybe I'm a good person who just did a bad thing. I can't change what I've done. I can just try and fix it, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fix it. So yeah, I guess it, it's kind of ambiguous whether that means that's true remorse or maybe more of a realization of the consequences that are coming down on him and him trying to find a way to wiggle his way out of it. But yeah, either way, like whether it was genuine or not in that moment, like... Five seconds later, it he goes back out, on you know, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if he had true remorse, it didn't last very yeah. long. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of uh, natural predatory instincts kick in, I guess. And uh, uh, yeah, he throws 
Tess of the Water Tower, the monster with its or with her mother instinct jumps after her. It's kind of like a Spider-Man-y moment. Yeah. Where he, she, I'm like, okay, what is she going to do? Is she going to catch him? And then they just both fall. But yeah. Yeah. Somehow, somehow the monster manages to like cradle Tess and keep her from dying after falling off this huge water tower. <laughs> but then what that allows for is this moment where Tess isn't dead and AJ is kind of confronted with like, oh no, I did this thing again immediately the behavior that he's been exhibiting previously with the sexual assault he's doing again here which is like oh he's like justifying and oh i had to do this mm -hmm. so it wasn't that bad you know i saw no other choice and he's trying to like he's finding the wiggle room <laughs> he's trying yeah. to find the wiggle room i think that moment to me was so effective at demonstrating just how absurd the whole his whole behavior is and just how much of yeah. a red flag it really is when you literally have just seen him throw another person off a water tower which yeah it really highlighted for me at least uh, the kind of nature of his character and the way or the way people or women in this case should understandably be suspicious of that kind of ex excuse making and that kind of remorse when you clearly when you take it out of the context of the whole situation. Yeah. Like it's easy to say someone being very remorseful or about something they did and then kind of sympathize with them. It does trigger this natural kind of empathy in a lot of cases. But when you just have seen like the bad act and especially when you've come to understand, okay, this is a pattern that's happening again and again. That to yeah. me, like at the end for me, that whole, it completely lost its power. Like the way he tried to apologize himself, which I think is a very effective thing that the movie did in kind of deconstructing that kind of abusive behavior that men like him continuously go through, like almost like a cycle. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I think that was an overall very solid conclusion. I'm almost forgetting what, what exactly happened to him. He gets killed by... The, the monster the wakes, back, wakes back up yeah. and, and does him in. Oh yeah, it's that the, the nice little head-crushing scene. With... Yes, yeah. And then... And then Tess kind of in this very tender moment shoots the mother, kind of puts her out of her, mm -hmm. puts her out of her misery. And the, the mother kind of gets this like, seems to have this moment of like, oh, she's protected the, she's protected the, mm -hmm. the baby Tess. And yeah, it's very creepy and tender. <laughs> no. Well, did you think she shot the monster just to put it out of its misery? I mean, also to protect herself to some extent, because the monster is kind of like yeah. saying we have to go back. And I think she's like, no, no, you know, we need to. Yeah, not going to submit myself anymore. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Nice little empowerment moment, I guess. That's a little bit after the credits, but I'm not sure what that was supposed to add to the to the story. Oh, I saw her walking. Yeah, she just gets up and walks away, but yeah. it was kind of implied that that what was what she was gonna t gonna do but i think yeah i think it just shows gives us clarification that she actually makes it out alive mm -hmm. instead of just yeah bleeding out in the street mm -hmm. which would be a little less of a triumphant ending <laughs> yeah they probably figured it would be in cool cut to black on the gunshots but then they also wanted to reaffirm like right. a little bit more about her her fate and yeah so we get a get a little bit more after the credits yeah which is fine, I guess. It didn't bother me. Or so I guess yeah. that's barbarian. A it's kind of this exploration of the dark basement of predatory men, and hmm. 
yeah, I think I think there's a lot of interesting maneuvers there where it kind of is connecting this character who has done this bad thing. He's committed this sexual assault, but hmm. he he owns the house that this like really horrible bad guy serial killer lives in. And yeah, it just does this interesting dynamic of kind of connecting those two and maybe undercutting a little bit the, I don't know what it is, the justification, that wiggle room mm-hmm. that that some of those guys seem to find yeah. in like, oh, well, but I'm not, re- you know, ew, I'm not really a bad guy. It's just like... One of my worries during that final act was that this was going to be a redemption story for AJ, that he was going to, yeah. like, he's done bad, but then he saw true evil and decides, okay, I'm going to be a good guy now. And so I'm going to help this person or whatever. And at the end, I, you know, I'm saved. And like my soul is finally yeah. uh, rinsed clean or whatever. But I'm glad the movie didn't go in that direction that you really, uh, that really hammered down on the kind of cyclical aspect of that kind of abusiveness, which yeah. tends to go in, in, in this cycle of uh, hurting someone, apologizing, looking for wiggle room apologizing some more all the while you know it, it the whole sequence is part of like be ending up on top of again where you someone like that would probably end up hurting someone else again and then go through the same circle again yeah yeah and the reality of like frank at the very bottom ra- would rather kill himself mm-hmm. than have sort of what he's done see the light of day which is also i think an interesting dynamic where these kind of there's a fight to keep the reality of these kinds of horrifying atrocities from coming to light in a way that kind of helps perpetuate that sort of thing. I think it's also interesting that, you know, Keith presumably is this is not a bad guy, but he's living mm-hmm. in the same house that AJ's character owns and that Frank owned and used as this terrible place. And that's a nice little that's a nice little piece of symbolism for like as a man, even if you are mm-hmm. not predatory, you are kind of living in the same house as other men who have been. And that's mm-hmm. part of why, you know, you present with can present with a certain sort of inherent like suspicion yeah. or or whatever, you know, it's like, yeah. And by all accounts, he lives there safely, whereas, right. uh, you know, you know, he, uh, I'm not sure if it was told or, or if they said how long he was living there already before Tess showed up, but it suggested that he's been there for at least one day earlier or at least some amount of time without encountering right. like the, the evil stuff in the basement. But, um, but yeah, I get, I get your point about why him being in that house from Tess, her perspective, would lead to her projecting the same kind of wariness or suspicion towards someone like him as someone like AJ, who she should rightfully be uh, suspicious of. Yeah, suspicious yeah. of, yeah. There's also an interesting dynamic where everyone she tries to tell about the basement and what's going on down there doesn't really believe her. Like, when she tells Keith, even though he's, you know, he's not really mm. a a bad guy in the story when she tells Keith about it he's like well I have to see it for myself yeah, to believe yeah. that it's a thing and also the police are both male there's no other characters 
the only other female character in the story, the uh, mm. the director who shows up for just a little, besides the mother, the only other woman in the story is the director who shows up for a little bit. She's like, oh, you shouldn't be staying in that neighborhood. Like, she's mm. also suspicious. All the other men in the story are like, Mm-hmm. kind of skeptical of how dangerous the situation really is and resistant to uh, Tess's kind of explanation of like, no, this is really bad, which I think is just an, another kind of illustration of that dynamic that plays out in, re- mm. in reality sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Even though I went in with somewhat high expectations based on how many people were excited about this movie or praising it, and I still thought there was a, a more depth to it than I expected initially. Even after like my first impression after just having finished watching the movie was kind of like, oh, okay, I see what they were going for. But I think especially now after having dug into it a little bit deeper, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating little story. I think it's a, a meaningful story, especially for a horror movie. Or it, it, it's a great example of how a horror movie can address topics like this that would otherwise maybe seem a bit like overwrought or a bit too heavy handed. Yeah. So yeah, Barbarian. Yeah, I appreciate, I'm hard to please with horror movies. I appreciate that it managed to walk that tightrope of kind of being like absurd, funny, also genuinely spooky in places and having interesting things to say, which is not not an easy combo to, to do, but it manages to pull that off in a way that's pretty fun. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoy the show, be sure to check us out on our creator-owned streaming service, Nebula, where you can experience our podcast ad-free. Listen to all of our episodes a week early and get access to monthly bonus episodes. On Nebula, we, for example, covered, among others, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Drive, Alien Covenant, and Upstream Color. Right now, the best way to get access to Nebula is by signing up for CuriosityStream, which comes with a free Nebula subscription. To learn more, visit curiositystream.com slash cinemaofmeaning, or just follow the link in the show notes. And we'll see you again next time.